This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 153 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is naturopathic medicine and family caregiving. Now, talking about naturopathic medicine and family caregiving, our de- guest today is um, Dr. Lisa Gore. Um, she's going to be talking about it because of particular movements that are going on in healthcare. You see, more and more family caregivers are caring for family members with health conditions that medical doctors, like I was, um, and medications cannot cure. Now, for some health conditions, medications may still be necessary, but not always, which is why other types of professional care are becoming more and more important for family members whom family caregivers are caring for, which is why the topic today is naturopathic medicine and family caregiving, and our guest is Dr. Elisa Gall. Uh, Lisa is a naturopathic doctor practicing in Calgary. She's keenly interested in family medicine, ranging from pediatrics to palliative care. She's currently president of the College of Naturopathic Doctors of Alberta and a member of the Canadian Naturopathic Coordinating Council. Over her years in practice, she's seen the stresses and strains experienced by family caregivers with children with special needs, with elderly parents, and with adults with chronic illness. She's the founder and director of Resonance Wellness, a center dedicated to conscious family medicine, which empowers her patients with knowledge, perspective, and hope. She believes that when patients and their family caregivers are empowered, they can choose a course of action that supports well-being, even when options seem limited. So, Elisa, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Now, let me ask you first, tell us a little bit more about your professional career. Um, Well, I very much started on the more conventional side of the fence in my undergraduate work. I actually started out studying drugs, (laughs) studying pharmacology, and um, in fact decided about halfway through my university career that um, it wasn't entirely suiting me. I felt like um, there wasn't always great explanations actually for why drugs work, and so I actually went into neuroscience, which frankly wasn't much better, Um, but I ended up um, 
uh, during that time frame, um, being the production editor of the University of Alberta Gateway newspaper, which um, actually goes to press twice a week. And so with the full-time school and the full-time, in essence, job, I got pretty stressed out. And by the end of the year, one of my um, friends at the paper had actually suggested that I go see a naturopathic doctor. And so I actually did that after going to see my family physician and, and not really getting the kind of support I think I needed for, for stress, actually, at that time. So um, I'd always been really attracted to plants and plant medicine. And um, so something about that approach that the naturopath um, took at that time really resonated with me. And so it was really the combination of that interest and my interest in, in medicine that really led me to naturopathic medical school. All my friends and uh, boyfriend at the time were all in U of A medical school, so I pretty much assumed that I'd end up there, but I didn't. Um, I got a scholarship to actually go to Bastyr University, which is one of the um, uh, accredited uh, naturopathic medical schools in the U.S. Um, obviously, went there, graduated from that. Um, I fell in love with hydrotherapy at the time when I was in there and uh, moved to Europe after I was done to study rehab medicine in uh, the European context, which is very different than it is here. Um, They do a lot of uh, management of chronic illnesses with hydrotherapy and other kinds of um, physical techniques and lifestyle techniques that you just don't see a parallel to uh, here in Canada and the U.S. So that was really interesting, and I came back also to study anthroposophic medicine. Most people haven't heard of that, but that's been particularly illuminating to my practice. That's the work that's based on um, Rudolf Steiner, who believed that when you do medicine or any other important human endeavor, that you should look at people as inseparable body, mind, and spirit. And he was quite ahead of his time. Um, That approach really helped me to see what I find most useful in medicine, to see what's really happening health-wise for a person as it's happening within the context of the whole life through all its phases and all of its nested meanings and by now, I've enjoyed practicing in Calgary for quite some time and have really developed a manner of looking at people and their health that I think my patients really appreciate. Right. Tell us, please, about the profession of naturopathic doctors and how it's evolving. Well, it's a very interesting profession in the sense that it seems like it's new, but I think the newness of it is, is based on the fact that over the last hundred years or so, we've had, you know, really quite a few renaissances in medicine, one of which was really the invention of some very, very um, pertinent and powerful drugs like the antibiotics. But in essence, um, it's enjoying a resurgence now as people look for complementary or sometimes alternative. You know, I don't think it should be set up an an alternative to conventional medicine because there's always a place for both. But In essence, MDs are trained like primary care doctors at one of the seven accredited institutions in North America. Um, To be primary care, of course, means that you're assessing and diagnosing with the same physical exams, lab tests, and history taking as your family doctor. The difference is the philosophy is different and the treatments are different, and it depends on where you are, what your practice looks like, because all health professions in Canada are regulated at the provincial level. So it means that for every single health profession, um, each of them has to have a law in each province. Um, philosophically, a naturopath is different in the sense that we, we have an underlying group of principles by which we practice. One of them is the healing power of nature, so the belief that nature has the ability to repair itself if it's given the right opportunity. Um, another is totally causum. It means find the cause. Can you figure out what's actually creating the problem and treat the problem there? 
Um, of course, first do no harm is another principle. Docere, which means doctor as teacher, in essence, so a strong educational component, a strong prevention uh, component, and a strong wellness component. Treatment-wise, um, we're really experts in nutritional medicine and diet therapy, herbal medicine, homeopathy, physical medicines, like we're actually very well trained in manipulative therapy and physio techniques and massage techniques, um, and the use of lifestyle interventions to improve health and disease. So most NDs, in comparison to other health practitioners, will spend a fair amount of time with their patients. The average first office call is about an hour. Um, and that just gives us a really good sense of a person's history and therapeutic goals. Uh, when I got to Alberta, I was the 13th ND in this province, and at the time the level of the awareness of naturopathic medicine was pretty minimal. But over the years, the efforts to create regulation here have attracted quite a few more new graduates, and now we have about 150 NDs in the province. So naturopathic medicine is evolving in the sense that local regulations across Canada are starting to reflect the true scope and potential for a naturopathic doctor to work together with the other health professions in concert. And very recently, we've had provincial regulations come into place for the NDs in Alberta. And so this is a pretty exciting time for NDs here. Very good. Now, please tell us about your role as the president of the College of Naturopathic Doctors of Alberta and a little bit about the college's work. Well, the College of Naturopathic Doctors is the regulatory body that's been established um, by the proclamation of our uh, very long-awaited regulations as of August the 1st um, of this year. Um, the college was actually previously the ANP, so we are actually transitioning from an association which has existed for a long period of time that's it's actually been in, in some form or another in this province since the 1940s. Um, but in essence now, it's basically a, um, a rule that helps... Um, to provide a better regulatory framework so that the members of this profession are well qualified um, and that they're actually held to appropriate standards to qualify to practice. And so when an NDA registers with the college, you know that they have the proper education. Um, the college is also responsible to ensure that NDs continue to be competent in practice. So Alberta has a competence profile, as an example, that outlines what the basic um, and advanced skills of a naturopathic doctor are and basically holds every single member to that profile to kind of reassess and reevaluate on a yearly basis. Um, it also helps Albertans with complaints so that they can have their um, concerns heard and addressed in accordance with the Health Professions Act here, which is the main act that regulates uh, all the health professions in our province. So my role is really to guide the council towards the fulfillment of our obligations to the Albertan public, um, although, you know, that's our official role. Often we're also getting to do some fun parts, and that is right now to help the public and the health professions in our communities know more about naturopathic doctors and what they can do to help Albertans with their health because certainly we have the potential to really contribute to the health system here. And we've been working with them for quite some time. We work on the Federation of Health Professions um, group, um, which is an outside-of-government group of all the colleges in Alberta that have to deal with the Health Professions Act and regulate their members and support um, the uh, ways in for the public to interact with us. Lisa, just a quick question about funding. That is to say, Canada, as we all know, has a public health care system uh -huh. which funds certain 
types of care but not others. What about naturopathic doctors? Are they funded through the healthcare system? They're not. Um, that is actually a separate act in this province. Um, so this one has to actually pass first before they would even consider doing something like that. And honestly, it's probably not entirely on the table. It has been tried in other jurisdictions. They did fund um, the BC Naturopath for a short period of time, but unfortunately the funding model didn't really reflect how we spend our time with our patients, and so the naturopaths that participated weren't being fairly compensated, and most of them just dropped out of it. Um, of course, that said, naturopathic doctors in general are covered by third-party insurance plans. So where people have that, that's the case. And now that we're the fifth province regulated, um, it will also be a tax-deductible expense on your income tax. So now the majority of provinces are, are, are uh, uh, regulated. This is a, perhaps an unfair question, but let me ask you this. If you had the choice to be funded through the healthcare system or to stay as you are, which would it be, Elisa? You know, honestly, I think the answer to that would be somewhere halfway in between because I can see the potential for creating funding for people who really want some naturopathic care but just absolutely cannot swing it either way. You know, a great example would be people who are on H, right? Unless you have some sort of external support, you're just not going to be able to see a naturopath. Um, but I don't think I could spend my entire practice doing that because it does change your practice when you are just seeing funded care individuals as well. And I love the breadth of care and the responsibility that people take in my practice. That's really, really important to me. So I think the answer would be somewhere in between. Very good. Now, it is time for us to take the break, so that's what we're going to do now. Um, this is where we have to pay our rent. This is Dr. Gordon Avery, and my guest is Dr. Alyssa Gall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired become inspiring. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. America.tv. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. 
Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Lisa Gall. Our topic is naturopathic medicine and family caregiving. Um, Let's now talk about the naturopathic care you provide for children and their family caregivers. So, Alisa, first question, what health concerns of children are most common in your practice and what types of care do you provide for them? Well, I provide um, many levels of care for families depending on what they want me for. I provide primary care for many families, which means that I get to deal with you know, pretty much everything that goes on with the, with the children, colds and flus and injuries that seem to be the undercurrent of their daily lives. But with that type of care also comes things like allergies and allergic symptoms like eczema and asthma, certainly digestive complaints, behavioral issues, learning disorders, uh, developmental delays, and um, certainly wellness concerns like um, vaccinations and infectious disease. Uh, prevention. Um, I've also taken care of some very small patients with some very serious illnesses, such as leukemia, you know, usually alongside their conventional care. Um, Naturopathic treatment methods are very effective for children because we're looking to treat the cause first. You know, does a child have an allergy or an intolerance? Is this something that we can use alternative testing for? Because there's lots of different tests out there that um, are a little bit outside of the conventional method or they're a little bit, um, uh, you know, more expensive and so they're not generally provided by Alberta Healthcare here. Um, do they have a diet that doesn't supply them with what they need to heal? Um, we, can, we can actually use several methods to figure out if kids are getting what they need. We can test to see how efficient the metabolism is. We can look for specific deficiency signs, symptoms to gauge what might need some support. Um, we're always looking, are there stressors in the family that need to be addressed? I'm always amazed at how many families I see with small children where the small children are just basically um, showing the parents what the biggest stressors are in the household and they're reflecting them back perfectly um, to to the parents. And usually when you finally point that out, it's, it's very much recognizable. Um, I often use autonomic response testing um, to determine if there's patterns of a particular nature being held in the body of the child. Um, you know, generally speaking, we hold our stressors in specific locations in our body. So um, sometimes a digestive problem means a particular kind of mental-emotional stressor is present, and it'll only flare when that stress is, pl- is present. Um, we use gentle herbal support in kids. We can use homeopathic remedies to help create balance for a child. Um, we look at what's the rhythm to their day. You know, sometimes just small changes um, with gentle therapies can make a really big difference. Let me talk about now, or ask you to talk about, please, the types of care you provide for children with special needs. Yeah, I often serve as the alternative primary care for such children, but um, of course, mainly I help using natural medicines. And normally what we're aiming for under those conditions is to really help improve function in the aim of whatever the special need. And as you know, often more than one special need is, is found in the same child. So 
uh, we might look at it, again, one step backwards to see if maybe some of the special needs have common, uh, common ground in between them. Um, I often use some very specific evaluations and interventions um, in these circumstances. I've used something as an example called bioacoustics. Um, bioacoustics is a sound frequency and evaluation program, um, and it, it really helps identify issues that sometimes we don't really know about. And the, the evaluation is really neat because it uses um, a voice sample from the child, uh, which is usually pretty easy to obtain. Even in an uncooperative child, you can at least get them to cry or, or laugh. Sometimes we tickle them to get a voice sample. But in physics, um, mass is equivalent to frequency. And so when we do a bioacoustic evaluation, we can actually see based on the, um, the frequencies that are present and missing in the voice that there's particular um, correlations to those frequencies that are over under accentuated. And we have like a, you know, a granted a limited database program, but a database program nonetheless that actually makes frequency equivalents to certain compounds. And often we can tell what the nature of, you know, the main issues are for a particular child. And in the case of, um, say, as an example, um, somebody with a learning disability, bioacoustics has been very dramatic because sometimes we can tell nutritionally what's missing for that person because the frequency equivalent will just be missing in that person. And the brain can't tell the difference between the frequency and the nutrient. So we can either use the nutrient itself as meaning to replace itself, or we often can use frequency medicine, which is very easy to administer. It doesn't have to be swallowed. You can just actually play the frequencies in the subwoofer range. And they've made some pretty dramatic um, effects in kids that have, you know, even some fairly significant um, cerebral or brain dysfunction. Um, in my practice, I also use the learning program um, to help kids with, with minor to significant learning or brain or behavioral issues, sensory integration disorders, um, cerebral palsy, other complaints where the brain just doesn't seem to be processing information properly. Um, the listening program is a technology that helps the kid's brain to relearn, to pick up frequency information in a way that helps process it more efficiently. And you actually go through the different types of information sequentially, almost mimicking the way the brain would normally develop. Um, and there's lots of, there's a fair amount of case research behind it. Also, that works very, very well. And there's lots more examples. You know, for instance, in learning disabilities, we can find that concentration and focus can be changed by keeping the circulation to the head more consistent. And there's great herbal and homeopathic remedies that can help you do that. Um, in cerebral palsy, you might want to rule out metal toxicity like lead. That's one rule out in cerebral palsy. Um, finding ways of keeping the muscles supple and relaxing the nervous system because the brain damage keeps things so tight and restricted. In older kids, we can use acupuncture or a therapy called neurotherapy. Um, in Down syndrome, we might help strengthen the heart or attend to the details of the particular identified weakness for the Down syndrome child in question because, of course, the expression of that varies dramatically. Um, in epileptics, I've found that we can decrease the frequency and intensity of seizure activity, even where the medications totally remain in place. And for a lot of these um, things, you know, we, we don't ignore the medications and we don't drop them. We just actually see, see if we can add to what they're doing, if they're doing uh, or not doing enough. In sensory disorders, dietary changes can make a huge difference in an overwrought nervous system. If you know what the kid is sensitive to, or even if they have a processing issue metabolically that they just can't quite, you know, process coloring agents as an example, that can make a huge difference in the perception of um, uh, uh, what they feel in their skin. 
Um, where there's feeding issues, we can design supplementation that supports the kid. Um, and knowing what they can and can't tolerate again often helps a lot in those conditions. So that's just some examples. Right. Uh, in relation to all of those, that is children with special needs and children with these common uh, challenges and problems that you were talking about, how do you work with the family caregivers when you're caring for these children? Well, I think there's really two main ways. Um, in caregivers, firstly, a caregiver requires caregiving themselves. <laughs> and um, certainly I get to see this a lot because I deal with a lot of parents and children. Caregivers are really faced, you know, often with a lot of very stressful circumstances. And, and they themselves sometimes need naturopathic support. And, and where we see that, um, we'll try to help somebody, you know, nutritionally or herbally or from a lifestyle perspective just to help them to cope with what, what they need to do. They're usually overextended. Um, they usually take care of themselves last. I always give this example. You know, if you're on the plane and the oxygen mask drops, your responsibility is first to yourself and then to assisting others. So I always say to those parents that are really finding it difficult to hold the boundary um, there between what they're doing for themselves and what they're doing for the, the child that they're caregiving for, especially where the needs are intense is, you know, that airline attendant is talking to you. You know, you're supposed to be putting your own oxygen mask on first. And parents need to sometimes almost give themselves permission to find and organize respite care, um, which can be a, a real um, stressor if, if people just um, can't get away. Um, I can't say it enough. It's just not okay to, um, to, to support somebody else at the expense of yourself. Um, so I coach parents through their, through, you know, their own feelings or, or they, we bring them out, outside support for them if they have difficulty coping. I think the second main way is educating parents how to help their children. Um, so many natural therapies and techniques can be applied at home by caregivers. Um, a little knowledge and some empowering strategies can just be so useful. Um, I recently taught a parent course on how to take care of acute illness complaints in kids at home. Um, you know, a three-hour course where everybody sits down and just asks all their questions. We go through all the different things that you could potentially see at home. But the principles are the same, you know, regardless of the child. If you feel confident in what you know and how to use the natural remedies that you're most comfortable with, then you won't feel like you're at the mercy of the doctor's hours every time when your kid gets sick or has an exacerbation. You know, if you have a plan for when those little symptoms or those chronic things, you know, in your longer-term care um, children have that you know are often at the start of like some sort of snowball into an infection or another issue, knowing what you're going to do and having the tools at hand can be a total godsend. So I would say those are the two ways, education right. and, and caregiving. Lisa, it sounds to me as though your approach in these sorts of circumstances you're talking about is to treat the whole family, that is to say the family caregiver as well as the family member, um, because the one affects the other. Now, I've oversimplified a little bit, but am I basically right when I've just said that back to you? Very much so. You can't separate out the experience of a, of a child acutely or chronically from what's going on in the family. And um, it's, it's really been amazing to watch this because, like I said, when people do get the sense of, you know, that, that their two-year-old, is, their digestive problems are really because the mom is having a lot of difficulty with a certain kind of stress. I mean, your kid is sitting in that stressful environment with you 
all the time. They don't know any different. We're teaching our children every day what's stressful in the world, what's important to attend to. And, you know, this is the reason I always say, you know, people turn into their parents by 40. (laughs) If they haven't, they didn't learn from their parents what they were supposed to learn. And that's just totally normal. You're supposed to condition your children, you know, to be able to to deal with stressors. But it's amazing how much of our health-related concerns comes out of that. And so because of that association that I've made over the years, now I don't just treat one in the family. Often we're looking at what is the big picture here and how is everybody playing a role in this. Because there's healing in in, in the whole thing for everyone. Just a very quick comment back to you. More and more the healthcare system is having to rely on family caregivers, whether the system admits it or not, simply because system wants to get people out of hospital quicker it wants to get people out of hospitals in such a place that they're not taking up beds and all that kind of thing all of which is putting pressure on families family caregivers as well as the people who they're caring for known in those people are known in hospitals of course as patients and so this concept that you've just described to us elisa seems to me more and more in step, if not slightly ahead of, the times in healthcare we're living with. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that later on, but once again, it is time for us to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Elisa Gall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you are having difficulty balancing everything in your life, be sure to tune in to Change is Personal with Kim Fuller. Each week, we'll help you do your own self-assessment to handling relationships, family, life challenges, health, and personal goals. Kim and her guests share from experiences and offer advice and resources to keep your life on track. Change is Personal with Kim Fuller can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and start having a fuller life. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Living Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Lisa Gall. Our topic is naturopathic medicine and family caregiving. So let's talk about naturopathic care for adults with long-term or terminal illnesses. So, Elisa, what are the commonest long-term or terminal illnesses of adults who you um, see in your practice? And what's your approach to approaching the challenges for the family as well as the person with a long-term or terminal illness? Mm, I think the one on the top of my list is pain. Um, in long-term care of adults, there's often issues with pain. Um, I've had patients with pain who were completely immobile uh, and on a great deal of pain medication that really affected cognitive function, and that, of course, then adds to the burden of care. Um, and my experience is that from a pain perspective, you can act, interact with the body in ways that aren't typically used in conventional long-term care. Um, one of the best examples of that for me is um, neural therapy. Um, neural therapy is a surface injection technique. It's, it's actually not a new technique. It's been around for probably 80 or 90 years. Um, and, in fact, an epidural is a neural therapy technique, although it's the most invasive neural therapy technique. But neural therapy actually uses um, a weak solution of a local anesthetic in the skin of the patient where the areas of pain um, or dysfunction are. And it's an incredible therapy for pain because a lot of pain signaling isn't centrally created. It's actually created in the area that got injured in the first place or that's having that's had a, an accident or possibly a surgery uh, done to it. Um, and so I found that spasm muscles and cerebral palsy can respond really well to that, um, as can pain created from accidents. Um, I had one fellow with cerebral palsy who had kind of the typical surgeries to his feet and legs and, and leg braces, and he'd been in a wheelchair for a while. Um, we did neurotherapy on his legs, and he was up onto his crutches again after not being able to walk for quite some time. I've had other people in really sig- significant accidents. I have one um, lady who, who was a former nurse um, who was in long-term care because she'd been in a car accident and um, had become quadriplegic from a neck break. And she had just incredible amounts of pain and, and really wasn't able to function cognitively because of the level of drugs that she needed to be on to be comfortable. And so um, under those conditions, you know, part of the strain on the caregiver is that, you know, they don't have anything other than, you know, what the maximal dose of a certain pain medication is. So even in, the, in having those pain medications there, we can use those techniques very, very easily and very safely to see if we can get some uh, amount of pain relief. So that's one of them for sure. Um, Second one, infections, um, very common in that population uh, in long-term adult care. Um, Usually, you know, for an individual, there's a tendency to a particular type of infection. And, um, you know, measures can be easily employed to minimize the likelihood of an infection or reduce its severity, even if you're already doing some sort of conventional treatment for that. 
um, you know, bladder infections is a great example in your average wheelchair-bound person, um, especially in the females, we see a lot of bladder infections. Um, and if you do a well-matched herbal or homeopathic or nutritional strategy, um, especially when it's done preventatively, it can be really useful. Um, the third would probably be lack of movement and circulation, especially in bedridden people or, again, people in chairs or with limited m- movement. Um, teaching caregivers basic massage, the use of gentle hydrotherapies, um, homeopathic or herbal creams that are useful to improve circulation or, you know, um, decrease swelling can help a lot. Uh, hydrotherapy is great for decreasing leg swelling and comfort. Um, bed sores, obviously, um, if you can get in there and actually create better circulation, um, it's, it's brilliant. Poor lung function, you know, due to lack of movement. Let's say people get pneumonias because they just... They never move their rib cages and they never clear things out properly. You know, even in patients who are walking around, getting enough physical exercise can be a challenge. And so having somebody who can walk a patient around who can still walk or do additional movement of the extremities over and above what the physio has time to do is always an advantage. Um, I think malnutrition is a major problem, especially in institutionalized uh, long-term care, sometimes not even even institutionalized because, you know, people don't always have a sense of what a nutrient-dense, supportive diet really is. Um, and, you know, even if they are on an institutionalized menu, you can always put easy supplementation in that can really improve outcomes. Um, I usually use professional-grade nutrient powders or supplements that the pharmacy actually compounds specifically for a patient for me, and that consistently improves outcomes regardless of, of the level of, um, of illness. Um, I'd say, like, the most common terminal illness in my practice um, that you asked about would be cancer. Um, certainly, I often get people who are at the end of the long journey with cancer, and sometimes I can help the cancer, and sometimes I can't. Um, but certainly, we can help people tolerate more invasive treatments and improve quality of life. There are many things that can be done under those conditions, and sometimes our our patients, technically who are terminal, do very, very well for for a much longer time than people actually um, have anticipated. Which raises the question of palliative care, which. Mm. You know, all our listeners, I'm sure, are well aware of this, and that's care basically given at the end of life when Mm -hmm. it really is a prediction that life is coming to an end and the idea is to keep people as comfortable physically, spiritually, and in other ways as as possible. Tell us, please, Alyssa, how you work with family members and their family caregivers when the family members are receiving palliative care. Well, you know, again, this is one of those circumstances where, as with kids with special needs, you know, support for the caregiver is really tantamount. Um, I think in palliative care, um, the most difficult aspect is knowing what to expect. Uh, One year I gave like a two-hour lecture on death for my patients. (laughs) They weren't that keen about the title, frankly, but I gave it because I realized that that watching a death is really not in most people's experience anymore. You know, we have a very sanitized death rituals in our culture, um, and most people are very, very lucky if they've ever seen a dead body. Um, uh, I mean, luck, uh, of course, relative term, but, you know, so if you're in palliative care with a loved one, watching them th- go through a death transition, um, certain things can be really shocking. Um, a good example would be, like, the noise that dying people can make. Most people who haven't heard that before assume that's a bad thing, and that the dying person's uncomfortable and then they get upset, um, the caregiver gets upset, I mean, but usually it's, you know, it's just a stage in the final process. And if people know that, then they can be prepared and involved in the process. 
Um, I think it's really important to, you know, to examine what's motivating your care strategies um, at the time when you're talking about caregiving and somebody who's expected to pass. Um, helping a caregiver to navigate so that they really are careful that they divest themselves of, of responsibility for the choices of the person that they're caring for. Um, you know, the classic example is, is really having difficulty with somebody who made the decision to smoke their entire lives and now is dying as a consequence. You know, holding, holding that inside is, is really, it doesn't really allow for the space for, for, for you to connect to your loved one before they pass. You know, those choices can't be, can't be changed and, and it's very important. I think there's absolutely brilliant homeopathic remedies to help with grieving processes, um, to help the feeling of overwhelmment that can occur in a palliative care situation. And that certainly can be applied to a person who's dying, um, you know, most certainly. I, I often recommend that people do things that are gentle, supportive, um, you know, nurturing things for end-of-care life. You know, there, there often is, comes a time in the dying person's um, process where they're not particularly wanting to be touched, but there are also times prior to that where they really like to be. So we usually tell people how to do supportive types of treatments and uh, and use some very nice um, uh, smelling and feeling substances for that. Lisa, what is the role of family caregiving in palliative care? And just very quickly, the reason I'm asking you is that... Uh, a lot of the studies on palliative care don't seem to recognize much, if any, role for family caregiving. What's your quick perception of the role of family caregivers in palliative care? My perception is that's your family member. And this is a process of life that is natural to families, and we separate it out Um and I think that we miss out on an, an excellent opportunity to understand both the process and be participate in the process and also to really, you know, what, what does it serve? It serves as an opportunity for you to also exam, examine your own mortality um, in the context of what's happening to you. And again, you know, that intergenerational feeling like there's a process here that's ending. Uh, I just, I think that's just emotionally for family so crucial. Why would it be, do you think, and this has to be a 30-second yeah. answer, <laughs> that um, why would it be that the, the healthcare systems seem not to recognise family caregiving in palliative care? You know, I think in hospitals we're, we're taught to whip away the dead body quickly. And maybe that's a little blunt, but... <laughs> You know, yes. we just, we don't appreciate, we don't appreciate the, the sacredness of that moment. You know, there's, there's no place for religion or faith or spirituality a lot of the time in healthcare, And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Interesting. Now, it is time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Lavely, and my guest is Dr. Lisa Gold. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. 
Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Lisa Gall. Our topic is naturopathic medicine and family caregiving. Um, let's, Lisa, please hear your messages about the services of naturopathic doctors. Um, there are three questions here. Um, what's your message for the healthcare system about the services of naturopathic doctors, especially for children with special needs? Well, I think being most important message is that naturopathic doctors understand that most caregivers are more informed about the conditions in their child than the average doctor, regardless of specialty. Uh, you know, certainly we have our own expertises, but we don't understand your kid like you do. Um, however, a naturopathic doctor can really spend the time to listen for what kind of support is really needed and then help the caregiver to orchestrate that. Um, the best thing about a naturopathic doctor is they know a great number of different approaches and techniques that can be tried, so most of which they're really without side effects or any major interactions, and if one approach doesn't work, you're not usually at the end of the line. Um, I think most NDs have great referral networks of people who do therapies that can be applicable to your child that you've never come across or known about or, or understood how to apply, and they can be a great source of information for things that you can do that empower you to participate in your child's care at a totally different level. Right. Message now from you to healthcare professionals about the services of naturopathic doctors, especially for persons with long-term or terminal illnesses. Oh, I think the message for other healthcare professionals is let us help you. You know, NDs can assist in ways that you may never even thought about. Um, most health professionals are not particularly aware of the training and resources of a naturopathic doctor or 
that they're usually regulated by a provincial government or in the process of becoming regulated. And that's because mostly there's just not as nearly as many NDs as other kinds of health professions, and the onus is on the naturopathic community at this point to communicate in the future to the other colleges and associations. I always suggest that my patients give my contact information to everybody on their care team. So if there's something that there's some sort of question about what I might suggest that we can have conversations about it and see if, you know, we can work together to further the care of that person. You know, I hope that other health professionals will know that naturopaths are very open to working with them to make patient care the absolute best that it can be. Third, third message for family caregivers. What's your message overall about the services of naturopathic doctors for family caregivers? Well, I think that people need to understand that naturopathic medicine is a really distinct primary health care system. You know, we're bringing in a lot of the modern scientific knowledge. We're bringing in traditional and natural forms of medicine. The philosophy is to stimulate stimulate the healing power of the body. We want to treat the underlying cause of disease. You know, we see symptoms as warning signals of improper functioning of the body and unfavorable lifestyle habits. So. We emphasize disease as a process rather than just an entity, and that actually gives us a lot more flexibility to do something about it. So we can choose naturopathic treatments based on the individual patient, what's their physiological or structural or psychological, social, spiritual, environmental, or lifestyle factors. And in addition to those kind of changes, we can do herbal medicine, clinical nutrition, hydrotherapy, homeopathy, you know, other kinds of physical manipulation, lots of naturopaths do acupuncture. Um, we just have a really great spectrum of, of resources from which to draw on. And I think most family caregivers are ready to participate in their own care and be empowered in that way. Empowerment is a very important word because, Elisa, as you very well know, more and more burden is being placed on family caregivers, we've said that. Um, I think, therefore, that what your message basically is, uh, is that you're there to empower, to strengthen, and to support the family as a unit um, in looking after themselves, looking after the family member, and doing so in a way that covers off a range of things are not simply medications. Now, you would, you did not say, and uh, I want to stress this, that um, you see your job as displacing the medications because we'll all agree they are at times necessary. But your job is more to supplement what, if I can put this as an exposition, what medicine and medications can't do or doesn't do as well as is needed. So just very quickly, have I got that right? Mm, most certainly, yeah. It's, it's definitely something that's not intended to supplant anything. I mean, certainly if you can choose a gentler, you know, just as efficient way of doing something, then of course that's, that's useful too. But it's, it's never in, in competition with it. It's, it's what works for your patient at the end of the day. Right. Now, what's also happening, Elisa, is that family caregivers, and I hear this on this show a lot, and it's very encouraging, are looking themselves for solutions that work. And when they find a a solution that works for them, they want to share it with other family caregivers. Um, It's helped me, so it might help you, seems to be the message. And then some family caregivers are developing new ideas and going to 
organizations or people with new ideas. Is that something that you recognize in, in naturopathic um, medicine? Very much so. I mean, I, like I said before, I think most caregivers have a pretty good sense of what's going on with the person that they're caring for. And, and they're the go-to people to figure out what is it here that we're really needing that we're not supplying well. Um, and I think that's true across the board. It doesn't matter what the particular concern is, that um, caregivers are identifying, you know, what are the day-to-day things that absolutely are not being addressed properly, and how can they be addressed properly? You know, can we try something different? And, and that's, that's the incredible strength of having a caregiver there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's in other words, it's, it's innovation. It's innovation pushed in part by caring, by the human emotions that are involved, but also is being pushed by necessity because however much the healthcare system does, and it does a lot, um, it doesn't do everything. And it's that additional extra that becomes more and more important. And therefore, um, I'm saying to you that, <laughs> Lisa, I'm lecturing you now, uh, that treating the family as a unit and introducing them to new things, I think, is a profoundly important and hopeful message. And so every success to you in all you're doing, all your colleagues are doing, and keep up the good work um, because it's necessary. So thank you very much for that. Now, it is unfortunately time we have to go. So I want to say thank you to our listeners. Um, at Family Caregivers Unite, we welcome hearing from listeners and we'd like to hear from them about this episode. We also want to hear from people who would like to be our guests or who have suggestions for topics. In our next episode, we'll talk about identity theft and vulnerable family members. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the internet. Torture then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.